Good morning and welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, we'll be showing you how to DIY your own Christmas wreath with a masterclass from a Dublin florist. Minister for Further and Higher Education, Simon Harris, will be joining me to discuss the latest government efforts to expand student accommodation. We'll be looking at the cost of Christmas lights and what the cheapest ones are. And the journal's Neve Marr will be here channeling her inner Marie Kondo to fix your life and help you avoid the most common mistakes when it comes to decorating the Christmas tree. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, well, you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106. For 30 cents, you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You'll find me over on Instagram or Twitter or all the other places at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our podcasts which are up in the News Talk website or on the app which is powered by Go Loud. Now you're very welcome along this morning. I don't know uh, about you. Have you got your tree up yet? I do not. I certainly don't. I'm hoping to delay it as long as possible. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm not like, it's not that I'm a Scrooge. I just, the minute it's up, everything just looks so cluttered and I do love rooting around in the boxes which are up in the attic and realising I actually have some very lovely decorations. My husband and I began a tradition years ago to buy a tree decoration from every trip or holiday we went on. So I have baubles from Stockholm to Salou and Warsaw to Waterford and it's always fun unpacking them. But it can wait. We have no small kids left and the big ones will only be returning in the week before Christmas. So I'm not inclined to get started earlier than I have to. I love the smell of a real tree, but it's a bit messy getting it in and out. Well, do not fear whether you have your tree up or not. We have experts on hand over the next few weeks to get your home festive and fun. And I'll be listening avidly to everything in the hopes that it'll be a little bit easier than usual. But I'd love to hear your tips for everything from unknotting the lights or maybe re-knotting the lights uh, to preparing the lunch table and what's on the top of your tree. Is it a star? Is it a Santa? Is it an angel? Let me know. Text us here 53106. Email us at com. Find us over on Insta, on Twitter and all of the other places. And you are very welcome along this morning. Now, as we start to spruce up our homes for Christmas, it can be nice to have a decoration that's a little bit more original and maybe even uh, homemade. Well, joining us this morning to showcase how to make your own Christmas wreath is Betty Stewart of Lulabelle Flower School in Dunleary. Uh, Betty, you're very welcome uh, to the home show. Thank you, Sinead. Now, look, I mean, you know, unfortunately now you've got me to work with today, <laughs> which may not end well. You're a pro at this stage. But, but let's give it a go. Now, you've brought in and now, what you're calling the basics of a wreath. Now, to me, that's good enough to put up on my on my front door right away. Kind Tell us what you have as your base here and then what we're going to do today. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so what we're working on is a really solid dried straw base. Um, so for our Easter wreath, we did a really soaked sphagnum moss base. And this one, we're going to do really bone dry straw base which will last you years and years and years. So really sustainable. Right, so it's just a compacted kind of a straw ring. Yeah, big straw ring. That's basically all it is. All right. Now, what I've already done to get us cracking is I've put on a few posies. Now, what's a posy? A posy is just a little, little bunch of flowers. Kind of the size of your hand, a little bit bigger than the size of your hand. A bunch of different leaves and some some fur and and is that rosemary there? That is rosemary. Okay, so it smells beautiful as well and a few berries and And they're tied up. Now, folks, it's a bit like for the cooks out there, it's like a big bouquet garni that you'd stick in a super stew. Isn't that right? very good. That's actually what I'm going to use from now on. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, now we always put rosemary in ours because it um, it means remembrance. So that's really important. Ah, right. To put into okay. Things like this. So you've made up, and how many of these posies do you need to make up? I'm thinking about eight. Is it or it's actually ten? So close. Ten. Yeah, okay. Close. Right. So you've made up these in advance and these are just these little bunches of leaves and berries. Yes. And they get tied on or stuck on in some way? They're tied up first. Okay. And then I tie them onto the wreath. I'm going to let you tie one up Oh dear. Okay. You just hold it really simply (laughs) like that. Okay. Kind of like an A-OK sign with your hands. With your thumb and forefinger. Right. And then you leave a little tail hanging down. Okay. And then a big pipe Oh, I see. Oh, hold on. My finger's stuck in that. No, that's not going to end well. My finger will end up in the wreath. Right. Okay. I'm tying it up now. That's uh, it. Tie it as tight as you can. Okay. R-I-C. Tighter than what you think you need to do it. All right. And when you get to the end... And that's kind of like a stiffened string, really, isn't it? Yeah, craft okay. covered wire. It's oh, called. is that all oh, right? Yeah. Okay, very Great good. Right, and a bit of the end now, a bit stuck out. Will I just Perfect. tie that right. off? Twist the two ends together. Twist the two ends, grand. Okay, hold on now. And we'll have that. Okay, fine. So it's no, it's no different to putting on one of those wire things in the kitchen on a food bag or something. No, like that. exactly okay. the same. Grand. Very good. Okay. Analogy. Yeah. Right. Fab. Right. Not, so we're not quite as your... good as yours, but we'll, we'll do. Once it goes on to the wreath, yeah. you never know. <laughs> It'll be hidden, <laughs> hidden at the back, Betty. <laughs> right. Okay. So we're going to start placing these onto the wreath, right? Now, we've already put, I've already put on maybe seven posies so far. You have? The most important two are the last two. Oh, dear. Right. Okay, no <laughs> so pressure. So in goes, in goes yours, right? All right. So you lay it down, always at a slight angle. Oh, I see what you're doing. You're nearly laying it down flat Laying rather down than flat. sticking out. Okay. So that Perfect. would look really odd, ah, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we zhuzh it. Again, more technical terms. Right. You okay. it up a little bit and then... I've got my wire already on. Now, this is a far stronger looking one. This is like piano wire, isn't it? Very like piano okay, wire. Okay, yeah. right. You Flower can probably do this without... This. I'd need four hands for this, but you're we'll probably going to this. do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold that down and you do it. That looks like a piece Super. of kit now that would garage somebody. It actually is. <laughs> right, so we wrap it around the stems. Where you were holding the posy, that's where the wire is going to hold the posy onto the wreath. Right, okay. So three, always three. Two to get it on and one for luck. And we give it a really tough pull and then we let our wire hang down in front of us so we always know where our wire is. Okay, well that is that is super secure now, I can super tell by looking. Secure. That's not going to fall off at the front door. And the most important posy is the last one that goes on. Okay. So I've already done this up. So you lift up the first. We're now back. We've done the full circle around yeah. the wreath. We're back to the first one. So you lift okay. it up. You tuck in. Ah, look, you can't even see the you join. You can't even see the join. So this is the most important one because if we put it in like that... There's or going like to that, be a gap. It'd be a big gap and you okay. see all the stems sticking out. So you never want to see the mechanics of what you're making. So there we are, last one in. And the piano wire again. Again. Okay. Three twists. One. Pain. So. How many of these will you make over Christmas, Betty? Um, we could, we normally do about 50. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we normally do about 50. I'd say they're very popular. Yeah, they're lovely. They're lovely. And everything is foraged in there. So everything, all the greenery that you're looking at there is all from Dunleary. <laughs> right. Okay, even yeah. at this time of the year and it's so green. It's so green. And like all the ivy, we've got rosemary, hemlock, um, lovely berries, burning berries, and then ivy with berries on it as well. Beautiful, which is beautiful. beautiful. So anything that you have, anything that you can see, pick it up and use it. Great. Yeah. Okay. So that's, so that's the basic wreath done. As I say, looks absolutely delicious. Wonderful. Uh, but you're going to add to that now. I'm going to add to you that. You have brought in a cornucopia <laughs> of bits and pieces. Now I'm looking at dried uh, citrus, dried orange, really. Yeah. I'm looking at 
pine cones and bits of bark and some like a hessian kind of a ribbon. Lovely. So that's all going on, is it? That's all going okay. on. So these are orange slices that I've dehydrated at home. Oh, you did them yourself. Did them right. Myself, of course. So, so these little doodads are really, really easy. They've already come with wire on them. Okay. So you can literally stab it through the okay, flesh Okay, it's like a hat orange. pin going in here, like right? Like a hat pin. Yeah. Very good. Okay. We get two. We layer it up. And actually, the oranges are easy enough to dehydrate because you yeah. slice them and you just put them in on a really, really low oven. Um, yeah. The way you would sterilise a jam jar, maybe. Exactly. Or you can yeah. do them even in the microwave on a very low heat. Can you? Know? You've never you tried can. That and actually, um, there are some TikToks that you can, if you want to go down that rabbit hole oh, of yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> drying <laughs> citrus, you can do that. Uh, great. OK, so you're putting these. Now, is there a pattern to this, Betty, or anything? No. Any rules to follow? So I never do a pattern. I like everything to be really organic and for it to tell me where it wants to go. <laughs> okay, right. Uh, which sounds a bit abstract, but it really does become clear. So let me take one there. So I'm just popping this in here, am I? Oh, into the side. the side. Okay. And maybe another one of these. Lovely. Grand. Okay, wonderful. And then you can stab it and in there. you can just stab it in. Oh, I do And because like that. the straw yes. is so compacted, you can just stick it straight oh, in. Oh, you do. And, oh. You can wiggle it. You do indeed. Yeah. That's it. Perfect. And it becomes okay. more secure. Okay. And then, we've, do you see that beautiful one there? That's a lotus flower seed head. Oh, really? Yeah, and if you give it a shake, sometimes you can hear the oh, seeds. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And, and it's got little holes in it. So we can pop that holes. somewhere prominent, maybe down here. Beautiful. Right. Beautiful. You can fit that in for me properly. Thank you. And, uh, and that's beautiful. And then we one? have we have this white one here, which is uh, looks like a little bit of a kind of a pine cone it that has been coloured. Yeah. yeah, painted pine cone. Painted. Uh, and will we put that in on its own? Go for it. Anywhere okay. you like. There's there no rules. Go. It's no all going rules. to look beautiful. Well, that, that's, I already feel better. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay. Now, should we move on and put our ribbon on? Yes. Okay. So super. this is, you've just chosen, I presume you could pick a red satin ribbon or a purple ribbon beautiful. or anything like, but you've chosen a kind of a hemp or a hessian. Yeah, it's a, it's a hessian sackcloth. So this is all compostable. So nothing that we use is going to be here for very long. We can either okay. reuse it for years and years and years or compost it. Okay, so that'll just get wrapped around what is now, you can't see the end anymore. Can't but see <laughs> the end anymore. So what it'll I, go in. It'll go in. What I normally okay. do is I hold up the wreath and I kind of go, well, where is a nice central point for it to oh, go? Okay. And it's looking like it's there. It absolutely does. I agree does, with you. There's it? a natural kind of, even though it's a circle, there's a natural top and a bottom to it. Okay. Now to get your ribbon on, really easy. You don't need to do any big florist bows. You just get a little mossing pin, stick it straight in through, and then oh, wonderful! So you're not going to you're not going to bow it up or anything like that. Actually, I think you're right. It it looks kind of nicer when it's just left like that, yeah. and it'll trail down your front and door. Isn't that just beautiful? Isn't it? Well, do you know what? I'm going to put a picture of that up on um, my Instagram account, Sineadron100 on Instagram, but actually it'll probably go up on the News Talk feed. That's probably the nicest guest we've had in all week. Oh. <laughs> so uh, certainly the prettiest looking result. Uh, so we'll, we'll pop that up and people can have a look at it awesome. if they want. Um, Betty, thank you. thank you so much uh, for that. Where can people find out more about you? Thank you, Sinead. So it's lulabelle.ie or with a flower school in Dunleary as well. Wonderful. All right. And listen, I presume then after Christmas uh, in the new year you take off all those posies you hang on to the ring and you do it all again next year do it all again next year yeah, wonderful absolutely. all right well Betty Stewart of Lulabelle Flower School thanks a million for joining us with that masterclass here on The Home Show thank you
Now, Christmas not so far away and lights been switched on in towns and cities across the country. It's about time when you and I will be getting the fairy lights out of the cardboard boxes and up onto the window frames, onto the tree or into the garden. But with the ever rising cost of energy, it is a serious consideration this year how much it will all cost. Well, to find out more, I'm joined by Martin Desmond, MD of Wiser Energy. Uh, Martin, you're very welcome along. Thank uh, you very much. Home show. Now, when it comes to the type of lights, lots of us, well, me, <laughs> have <laughs> lights going back maybe 10 or yeah. 15 years and they're only taken out at Christmas time. They're not used for anything else. And I'm worried now that I might have the wrong kind of lights uh, because the LEDs, which we're all buying now, yes. kind of trying to replace the bulbs, I mightn't have those. I might have the old fashioned Just like so many other people, Sinead, just like so many other people were experts at putting this stuff away once a year and only dealing with it on the night, often trying to troubleshoot it as we're getting it to work. So we don't question where it comes from and how much it's using. But like every area of life, it's becoming much more relevant now that the cost of energy is where it is. Mm. And replacing those are one of the things we can do in the background that is not going to add an extra 50 or 60 euros to this year's bill. What's the difference between, I mean, both in terms of how they work and the cost of like the incandescent bulbs yes, yes. and then the kind of the LEDs? Yeah, of course. The LED stands for light emitting diode, whereas the incandescent bulbs, they emit light by a process which incorporates a lot of heat generation. So you're heating a little cable, a little wire uh, to the right temperature, often thousands of degrees to achieve the light lumens we require for that work task. Mm. LEDs emit no heat whatsoever, so more of the energy has gone towards just making light purely not heat. And that's how they get the efficiencies over the incandescent bulbs then. There are opportunities to offset those costs in other ways. And the chief way you can offset your costs is one thing is the energy you're using that's on the user side and that's your demand side and everything does need to be looked at and validated and it can be easily measured these days. But it's where you're getting your supply from is where the real savings are here. Okay. But, and that goes for everything in general. Start by explaining the different types of lights, because mm-hmm. I know that the twinkly little ones that go on the tree. Yes. I mean, I'm thinking they probably don't cost a lot of money, but they are on for the whole day and night in some houses, you know, so they're yeah. plugged into these kind of extension know, leads with set, timers, you, lots of them. Yeah, it's a, a great confusion. Or two trees. Um, and is there a difference, say, between the cost of those and maybe the ones that you put out the front? There are indeed something that we don't put under a microscope because it has always been such an irrelevant cost. But yeah, the, the figures for those type of comparisons, the, the lights interior on your tree would generally, we, we apply for any machinery in any industry, you apply what's called a duty cycle. How long is it going to be on and how long is that period for and over what stretch of time? So for four weeks, you allocate eight hours a day for uh, a Christmas light setup, and, and that would be four to 12 for the average family. Yeah. And your incandescent bulbs just on your tree alone will cost you, it will add about three €3.64 to your bill in comparison with the LED alternatives, which will cost you about 64 cents wow, okay. for so the equivalent cycle. Change, it is a big change. And it's, it's, it's again, because, because of the price of energy, it's much worth looking at now, you know. And, and is it the case that most of us use a different type of light for the outdoor stuff? I mean, you know, when you're lighting up the Rudolph. And yeah, that's right. Right. Well, most of those are coming as LEDs now. So it is the case that the people who are using incandescents outdoors like that or the older technologies have them in storage for, you know, plus 15 years. So it is, um, again, with those things you're looking at, they have a bigger running cost than the fairy lights. You would be looking at a comparison between LED and incandescent for the outdoor to be something in the range of about €1.75 is what the average outdoor 
decoration we'll use for an eight-hour cycle for four weeks of the okay. year. So, so 175. It's, like it's in the grand that's, scheme of things. But that's the LED, but the incandescent is five euros twenty-seven. Oh. So again, it's a third of the cost. You're cutting your cost by a third. And if you do that in the areas of life like this, where it makes no visual impact, it does take the front end investment. You do need to buy the new sets, which shouldn't be a deterrent because that money will be returned within two to three years. It's the rope lights, the, the, the little ornamental lights are fine, the, the little decorations of Santa or the, ra- the reindeer yeah. in the garden, but yeah. it's the rope lights. Now, what are they? They're the things that people would string right around their gardens or around their homes. To, to It's a, you know, it's an LED rope. Cable. Yeah, it's With a cable. Again, oh, yeah. Here, are they? they are much, much more expensive because they tend to be in 30 or 50 metre strips and people might not be aware what they're burning with those if they have the older ones where... For the Christmas period, again, the duty cycle we explained, you're looking at a cost of about 52 euros to run that. And again, yeah, it is, it is. And some people would take the impression of leaving them on all night because they, maybe they don't have the time around the day they're setting it up. Yeah. It's on all night and so all of a sudden... needs to see the house from space. That's <laughs> it, you know, that's all it's going to do. Yeah. The hedgehogs right. are wearing sunglasses. So those ones that you hitch up, you know, they're kind of significant now because you're up ladders and you're stringing them around the top of your roof and all that. Yeah. They're the really expensive They are, they are. Like I say, over 50 euros used properly. If you use them improperly, you're adding 100 euros to your bill for that one item. Yeah. And that's besides everything. So when you see these people who go to enormous trouble at Christmas. Yes. And they do it for their local community. For Fabulous their charities, kids, yeah, they for do. Charities, and they have everything lit up. You they know, do, it's yeah. like an airport runway. Um, they are definitely going to be facing a big bill this year. Massive in comparison to what they've done, unfortunately. Yeah. And being charity driven, a lot of them, I'm sure this will drive them out of the market if they can't react fast enough. Yeah. Okay, now I was one of the people who, I'm, I'm lucky, one of the million people who have got their smart meter fitted now for, for the electricity and I'm delighted with it. And the biggest thing I found, the biggest shock for me, mm-hmm. wasn't the dishwasher or mm-hmm. the kettle. Mm-hmm. It was the it, it was the kind of what they call the always on. So this yeah, even the vampires. in. Vampires, Vampires. isn't yeah, that the thing? That's what they call it. Leaving, leaving the plugs in. Adding to your base load. When you plug in an iPhone to charge it, mm-hmm. you're using 40 watts. When you plug out your iPhone and you walk away and leave that charger in the wall, you're using 35 watts just to maintain the little electrical field around around the solid iron core within that plug top. So it is about turning the switch on the socket or, again, taking another step. Certainly for the Christmas days, it would be worth investing in these remote control sockets. So you can either set it by a timer or you can press a button and it will go off. And there are more advanced versions for everything from analysing every piece of electric equipment in your home down to your iPhones. You have third-party devices you can fit to your fuse board. They will give you this information and if you're a geek about it, you can work out what your iPhone is costing you by the week, the day, the month. I know, I know. Well, you're not being a Grinch, so you're not saying, uh, Martin, you're not saying there are solutions. You're just saying pick the right ones. All right. Martin Desmond, MD of Wiser Energy. Thank you very much. Joining us on The Home Show. Thanks a lot. Now, the government has announced it is to part from the construction of around 700 student accommodation beds. But will this deal um, with the massive shortage of housing, not least for this year's student cohort? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Minister for Further and Higher Education, Simon Harris. Minister, you're very welcome to the home show. Now, look, this is welcome news, but it comes on the back of... UCD only last week shelving plans to build 1,200 student beds due to 
out of control construction costs. It simply can't afford to do it anymore. I mean, the situation when it comes to construction at the moment can really only be described as chronic. It's a very serious situation. So I'm not, I don't wish to overstate the significance of this, nor understate it. So, I mean, what we're trying to do here is change the approach that we have to student accommodation. Up until our decision this week, uh, being quite frank, the building of student accommodation had either been left to the private market or to universities from their own resources. So this is the first time ever uh, that the government, the taxpayers, listeners to your show, have effectively stepped in uh, with taxpayers' resources to try and get student accommodation projects that have quite frankly been stuck and uh, moving again. So what we've done is we've started with universities that have planning permission, that actually in the middle of a housing crisis have planning permission to build student accommodation, but have found that it hasn't been viable to build because of all the reasons you've outlined. And what we're trying to do is bridge the viability gap. So we're providing €32 million Euro to three universities that have the planning permission so that they can get on now and actually build 700. And then you rightly reference UCD and DCU are the other two that have planning permission. And we're working with them to try and get a similar arrangement over the line. Well, where will these new beds now be located? So in, in different places, in Maynooth, they'll be located on campus. Uh, in Galway and Limerick, they'll be located near campus. The difference between this, I suppose, and previous models is that they'll be college-owned or college-controlled. And that's important to me because I think we, we need to build up a stock of college-owned accommodation that is not resulting in students having to compete with the rest of the population. So the big benefit of this change in policy, as it rolls out, is that actually you're taking students who are currently competing with maybe a family with two or three kids to, to rent a three-bed semi. You're taking them out of competition with them. So there's a double benefit mm-hmm. here. And if you can get a student into student accommodation, it's actually freeing up another private rental property for a family uh, in much need. So how will it, the mechanism work? Is this like a dig out for the college to go and source its own builders or is the state going to fund these and own them? H- how will that kind of mechanism happen? So this is this will be run through the university. So we will provide the universities with additional funding to, to bridge the viability gap. Uh, in return, though, what does the state get in return? Well, obviously, extra houses being built in the country, which is an important thing, uh, the benefits that I've just outlined. But on top of that, we have insisted that any money we put into the project, that the return is that those uh, beds are provided below market rate. And we'll be working with the universities now to establish exactly what that means. And it'll mean different things in different parts of the country. But it is important that where the taxpayer is investing money and that there is a below market rate rent available. Yeah. Because affordability is a huge issue. Yeah. Now, you talk there about market rent. I was having a look online at what the market rent is for student accommodation and places like New Mills or or Brickworks in in Dublin city centre. I mean, you're looking at two, three hundred euros a week that they're charging. Now, like that amounts to the bones of 11,000 a year. That's the market rent. So that's completely unaffordable for most families, really. No, I, I think that's entirely right. And I mean, this is why, let's remember, in Ireland, most students aren't in student accommodation. In fact, I think the bulk of students actually reside at home and commute, and we're trying to change that model. Well, maybe uh, they're picking courses, as the Students' Union have said, to facilitate that. So they're not doing their kind of the, the choice they, they'd love to do in a different city. They're, they're picking their CAOs around the accommodation issue. Perhaps now there is a, there is a broader issue where we are obviously establishing technological universities and the likes, and trying to make sure that people have access to university education in the region. So you don't have this idea that everybody has to pack their bags and head to college because 
students obviously come uh, in all different ways. So some, not every student, for example, is 18 or 19 and looking to head to college for four years. More and more students we're seeing in universities are in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, children, mortgage, full-time job and needing to still access a degree program in a way that works for them. But sorry, I don't mean to get off the point, but that, that is, that, that is mm. I think, an interesting point when we talk about students. We, 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 we need to not just talk about students as though everybody is just kind of a, a teenager out of school. That's obviously a huge proportion of people, but more and more uh, we're seeing lifelong learning in Ireland and that's only going to go in one direction. Indeed. But I mean, the average student accommodation varies very significantly uh, around the country, but the long and the short of it is there isn't enough of it and it's too expensive. Um, the best way I think you deal with affordability is supply. I mean, we know that mm. the more supply you have, uh, the more accommodation available, the more price comes down. But any euro that the taxpayer puts into student accommodation will result in that euro being given back in terms of reduced rent. Uh, and that's the agreement that we've reached. We've also, and it didn't get much attention this week, we've also allocated a million euro to the technological universities. So we have five now based in regions. There's one in Dublin, there's one in the northwest, one in the southeast, one down in Kerry and Cork, and one in the Midlands. And we, they've never before been able to build student accommodation. So we've given them a million euro now to actually bring in capacity, to bring in expertise, to develop student accommodation plans so that in 2023 we can start funding student accommodation projects in the technological universities as well. Why do you think it is so unattractive for private developers to build student accommodation? I mean, it's a constant income stream. They don't have to meet all the standards of, you know, fancy duplex apartments and they really are available on land which is already zoned and already available and yet they're not doing it. Uh, there has to be some issue there that's stopping them. Yeah, being very honest, I think it's more the viability issue. So it's not that you can't get developers to develop student accommodation on college land, but it's that the universities are reporting to me that without state intervention, the rents would be so high uh, that it would be student accommodation in game only. And we have seen, and I won't name the university, but we have seen some kind of high profile examples in the last two years or so where student accommodation is open with much fanfare. But should the student accommodation rent is entirely inaccessible to students, barring a very few. So it's more, I think, the universities are rightly saying to governments, look, we can build this stuff. And you are right. We have public land banks in the middle of a housing crisis owned by universities. These have to be converted into housing developments for the societal good, let alone the student good. But we are going to have to step in, and that's what we've decided to do, to make sure that what is actually built is more affordable than would, cur- than would currently be. Do you come across resistance from some universities that they don't want their beautiful fields and campuses kind of clogged up with student accommodation? Because, I mean, that in itself might cause them more problems than it's worth. Well, there's one phrase that has been said to me on a couple of occasions, which is, Minister, you know, student accommodation is not our core business. You know, that's not mm. the core business of a university. That makes my blood boil. Um, I think it's a really ignorant thing to say. Firstly, we're in the middle of a housing crisis and every single part of Irish society has an obligation to help increase supply, including universities. But secondly, I think it, it ignores a reality. The well-being of a student, um, social determinants and all of that, are very much reliant on being able to have access uh, to good, safe, secure, affordable accommodation. Mm. So I do think we need a mind, uh, a, a change of attitude and change of culture in, a, in our sector. Um, and there's, there's lots of good practice. I don't mean to be too negative. Um, and yes, the government has a role to do. We've more than we need to do. Fully accept that. But we as a sector need to step up and recognise you cannot be a large university with a population bigger than some of the towns in this country <laughs> and actually not think that as you expand numbers, 
alongside those numbers must come Tuesday. Mm. Now, I think the penny's dropping, albeit belatedly. And in fairness to the universities, if they were on, they'd be saying, well, in fairness, the government hasn't actually financially supported us up until now to do this. And I think that's fair comment. But that has changed this week. We've now changed the policy. We've made it very clear. We're willing to put our money where our mouth is in terms of providing support. And I think it's up to every university across the country now to say, well, this scheme is open now. How can I make it work for my college and for my students? Now, you have planning permission, you have funding, you have presumably somebody to build them. So when will students be able to take possession of these new uh, apartments? So the first thing to say is this isn't the only show in town. I mean, as we speak, there's 674 beds being constructed in Galway uh, that are due to be handed over to the university in January will be occupied by students. Uh, next September, there was about a 1,000 additional student accommodation beds above beyond that that came on stream this year. So on a constant basis, there is student accommodation, public and private being developed. These 700 will go to construction in 2023. Um, some, will, some will actually be quite fast for a variety of reasons and we may start to see some towards the end of 2023. But I think honestly, it's into 2024. Mm. Okay. You have to know, try to break the cycle as a ministry. You can't just say, what are we going to do this September? We've got to try and move beyond this annual, very difficult situation that students and parents face by actually having this new policy in place. And I do believe I do believe it will be transformative over the next few years. Okay. Now, stuck in. before I let you go, talk to me about uh, the update on the refund of the student contribution, the €1,000 yes. rebate announced in the budget. Now, uh, that was a kind of announced after a lot of parents had paid their fees yes. uh, and gone ahead with it. So is that being refunded now? And, and is there anybody kind of going to be left waiting for that? No, there certainly shouldn't be. I mean, as we speak, so th- there's there's two scenarios. Um these are for students and parents who face the €3,000 registration fee. We made a decision to reduce the registration fee by €1,000, first reduction in 27 years. Some students pay the fee upfront, not most, because most people don't have a spare three grand line around the house. Some students do pay the fee upfront. They are getting refunds. They're getting refunds uh, as we speak. Many, many students have already gotten those refunds. Their colleges have been in touch to ask for their bank details, and all of those students mm. should have received that refund. Uh, in advance of Christmas. Okay. In, in now, addition to that, though, yeah. there's a lot of students who would pay the fund, uh, the fees in installments. So if you're a parent and you've paid half the uh, fees, maybe for your son or daughter, the thousand euro will be knocked off the remaining. Right. Cost. Okay. Okay. So that's just a logistical thing. Well, listen, um, that is good news, I suppose, for the 700 that are going to benefit from these beds and the the ones in Limerick and Galway and all of that. Um, a, a lot. Uh, a lot done, more to do to rob uh, somebody else's slogan, Minister. <laughs> a hell of a lot more to do. The key, thing, the key thing here actually is the 700 beds. Of course, that's important. The key thing here is we now have a policy framework to get many multiples of those 700 beds. We now have a framework established, agreed by the government this week, where we will parse fund universities. And what I'm saying to those not in the 700, please come forward, give us your plans, let's get going, let's build thousands more. And uh, we're open for business there to receive applications and we need to help fund them. Okay, Minister for Further and Higher Education, Simon Harris, thanks a million for joining us on the show this morning. Coming up on the Home Show after the break, what are the most common Christmas tree decorating mistakes? Well, don't worry, Neve Marr from the journal.ie is on hand to give us all of her hints and tips. And you can get your questions into us, email them to the Home Show at newstalk.com, text us 53106, and I'll be back in a few moments. And you're very welcome back to the Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Before the break, I was chatting with the Further Education Minister, Simon Harris, about the increase 
that he claims will be on the way for student accommodation in universities all over the country. So if you want to listen back to what he said, you can do so. It'll be up in the podcast on the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, with all the extras in the house right now, from trees to gifts to food, there's never been a better time to free up a bit of clutter and stop tripping over yourself. Kurashi is the new hugger. <laughs> And it comes courtesy of who else but clean up queen Marie Kondo. But not everyone is a fan of stripping back to life's essentials. So I'm delighted to have Neve Marr of the journal.ie in studio to find out maybe a more sensible solution for us all. Neve, are you a are you a condo fan? Do you know what? I am a condo fan, but I just want to say from the outset that I am not a naturally tidy person. So if anybody is listening to this who knows me... Do as I say, not do as I do. Especially if they know me from my childhood. Sorry, mother. Um, But I wasn't naturally tidy. You know, I feel like some people, you're either born with it or you're not. Like you naturally want your space to be very clean and tidy or you're a bit messy. And I used to be messy. Now... There's that kind of tidy thing, untidy mind kind of thing. Exactly. And and look, I I think it's overrated, uh, all that intense tidiness and that minimalism. It can be a lot and to be honest with you I did read the book that she wrote about sparking joy so that was you know it was a worldwide global success it was published first back in 2014 and then the Netflix show came out Mm. about it as well so of course that kind of started off even a bigger fandom for her and she's also just a lovely woman like she's this lovely Japanese woman who she calms you down when she speaks and I just I think she's very aspirational I suppose you, you would know call her she's walking the walk and talking the oh walk. yeah she's, it's not just one of these kind of influencer type things like do what I do and I'm getting definitely paper, but you know she's living like this 100% so, yeah. yeah and it, it actually has a lot of its roots the sparking joy element of it which was prior to Karashi you know it does have its roots in spirituality and things like this. So she she really does back it's up what she says. style and a way of living rather than exactly. just tidying your home. So she's moving it on one step further now with Karashi. So it roughly translates to a way of life and it's ideally about the way in which we spend our time. Obviously, the tidying and the organisation of things play into this, but it's more so about how you want your life to be and she fully believes that it kind of goes hand in hand, whereby if you get to a point where every possession that you have sparks joy in your life, then the organisation and the tidiness comes as a result of that. And actually, your life becomes a cleaner space in general, within your mind, as well as yeah. potentially your bathroom. To make sense. I mean, if you've reduced your your things, your possessions to the stuff that you absolutely adore, you want to make sure they're clean, they're tidy, they're in the right place and they all go with each other. So there is a kind of a logic there, really. Absolutely. And she she very much, with this new book that she has, um, it's about kind of expanding your own vision. So what your ideal space is and then asking, what is my ideal life on the back of it? So I know it sounds a little bit airy-fairy and it's a bit like, that's fine, but I've got a lot of makeup. How can I sort that out? It can be an overwhelming experience mm. to try and do this. But she, I don't think that actually, I don't think she's patronising at all. Sometimes I find with people who make organisation their life are a little bit too much, you know, when they're like colour coding their fridge and when they're, you know, being very extreme. I find that very hard to relate to because I just don't know anybody who can sustain that level of organisation. So she very much makes you feel that if you go by what she says, if you read her books and if you kind of follow what she's doing, let go of your own constraints is another big thing that she says. So like, don't feel like you can't 
have the life that you feel like you want to. And if you feel like, oh, if, I've got, if my mind is clearer when I've got a tidy space, then take the time for yourself. Everybody is so busy, especially at this time of year, that sometimes it's hard to, this is what she's very much pushing, taking time for your own self to then relate it into how you want to live your life. So you're not spending all your spare time picking up pieces of Lego off the floor and putting back toys and exactly. kind of rooting through looking for the right shade of lipstick and all that. It's all ordered and it's there and you freed up more time to do Exactly. That. She fully believes in holding space for what matters in your own life as well. And she says that the storage element of it comes with that. So if you only have things in your life that sparks joy, you will want to buy into the ritualism of storing that away in a correct manner. So I'm I'm all for it. Definitely takes a bit of time, takes a bit of dedication, <laughs> takes a couple of books and a Netflix show. <laughs> but you can get there in and the a end. Bit of practice. Yes. All right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so you'll be buying that and we'll, we, what we'll do is we'll um we'll see how you get on, right? Uh, <laughs> no well, question. the problem I did, I did want to mention as well that there are a couple of good Irish organizational companies as well if you don't want to do right. all this. Give so us this because we'll need all the help we can get. Exactly. Organizedchaos.ie is a great website as Sarah Reynolds is the woman behind that and she helps homeowners as well as businesses transform their space. Another one as well is organized by Dee who I actually found on Instagram and her name is Danielle and she does home wardrobe and business organization as well. So there are people out there who can help you take those first steps. So maybe if you feel like it's too overwhelming, take those few steps and then read the Marie Kondo book, yeah. <laughs> you know. And we have had declutters on the show, M&D down Cork, for instance, and they would always say, don't try and do everything in one go. No. Pick a room or even a drawer yeah. and just start with that. And I find that maybe those dead days between Christmas and New Year, if you don't have a lot on, can be really great good time. days just to, to kind of pick small tasks yeah. and do them and not try and kind of clear everything away. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely one of the pitfalls that I experienced, whereby I would try and tackle a whole room. Don't tackle a room, just ta- tackle an area of a room and th- and you'll find that it won't drive you as mad. Yeah, I mean, even something simple, like I had a, a kind of a bookcase where everything was chucked in. Yeah. And in my head, I knew where every book was, but it just looked awful. Yeah. So by taking them all back out again and putting them all back in again, then you end up with a pile for the charity shop, a pile to give to friends and then the ones you actually want. To and see, that's condoing essentially because it wasn't sparking joy for you. So you changed it for yourself. Yeah. Good thing. That's all I did, mind you. It's only <laughs> Everything else is a mess. <laughs> right. OK. Well, listen, uh, far more pressing and right now uh, is the whole thing of the tree. Now, I am going to take a stab at this because I said at the top of the show, I am waiting as long as it's humanly possible to put up a tree. Uh, I'm going to guess you already have yours up. It's up. It's up. It's up and it's real and I've got all my Christmas shopping done as well and I am... I'm, all right, out, right, I, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't even want to feel smug about it, but I'm so smug. It doesn't happen every year, so I feel very in control this year. Um, I got my Christmas tree up last weekend, but this weekend is actually the weekend, I think, that a lot of people are getting their Christmas trees yeah, up. Yeah. And to be fair, mine's probably going to die. So I actually think that this weekend would be a better 
Christmas tree weekend for people listening. Um, but I adore decorating a tree. Oh, it's one of my favourite things to do. So There is something lovely about it. Now, are you somebody who uses the same, you like the same thing every year? Because some people like all the same decorations in the same place and that kind of look that they mastered eight years ago. Yeah. Or are you like, oh, throw everything out, get some new stuff, let's do it from scratch? Absolutely not. I love retaining my Christmas decorations. I'm actually in the midst of developing my Christmas tree decoration collection, I suppose. I've only really had Christmas tree decorations for a couple of years, really, because I was renting and, you know, you don't want to spend a huge amount of time when you you don't really spend a huge amount of time in your apartment, say, over Christmas, you go back to your families. So I've recently started to really think about the decorations that I have. Um, That was one of the tips, actually, that I have is to try and be as sustainable as you can with your decorations wooden decorations, paper garlands, reusable crackers are all available now. I think, you know, we do need to think about the sustainable element of how we decorate, especially now in 2022. There's absolutely no excuse for it. But I am really enjoying the fact that I've kept my decorations. When I when I opened them this year, I was pleasantly surprised by what I had had. You can forget really you can what forget. you have. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's a nice kind of trip down memory lane to, yeah. to remember what you have. Now, this is uh, one of the things, of course, where people can go very wrong is getting the decoration. And this is it, like size matters. Oh. It's possibly the only time It absolutely matters, does, Sinead. It does. <laughs> it does. Uh, because I know lots of people like to go out and maybe chop down trees and forests and do all mm. that. But you're looking up at something that's 40 feet tall and you think, oh, yes, that that would fit in my living room. No bother, because you're in the midst of this vast forest. Now, that's always a mistake. And I'm speaking from experience, folks. (laughs) Really? Do you know, the wrong size Christmas tree is it's one of those pitfalls that a lot of people fall into. And it's very tempting to choose the biggest, the fluffiest tree that you can find. But realistically, you have to think about the space that the tree is going to be going into. So um, a good tip is to actually, between the top of your tree and the ceiling, to allow... Um, for branches, try and leave about a foot up there. So like a lot of people will go, oh, I need a seven foot tree because I have, you know, a, a seven and a half foot room. I actually like to measure myself against a Christmas tree. I'm five foot. So there is an option for a five foot, six foot and seven foot tree this year. I went for the six foot tree and we have a nice foot and a half or so. See, it's a good way of until doing the it. Ceiling. Because yeah. you know how far away from your own ceiling you are. I'm absolutely my best measuring tape. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Now, do you like the whole, um, I know some people are, are really love that kind of curated hotel look. Picking a theme, picking a colour and not allowing any tash on it. Yeah, so, well, don't have tat anyway. Tinsel, for example, you cannot, um, it it doesn't break down. I'm not a fan of tinsel. It's terrible for the environment. But I do think that if you are decorating your tree, it's good to have a theme. I'm not a big fan of the whole hotel in your home vibe because I do like a real tree and it's very hard to get it perfect when you have a real tree. But I like that look. So I kind of have gone more for the colourful festival vibes. But um, picking a theme just does, it does make it a lot easier. So you can have, there's a lot of Scandi inspired trees out there at the moment with beautiful white icicles. There's a lot of kind of Art Deco, Great Gatsby themed trees as well at the moment, which are really beautiful. Um, And then of course you can't forget the lowly bubbles, which make up a huge amount of the decoration of most trees. What colour then? Like I like the metallic ones, I must Mm. say. 
say, mm. silver and gold coloured yeah. baubles because I just feel you can work anything around those and, the, exactly. and they're just sitting there rather than the giant purple ones and then if you don't fancy purple next year well you're stuck with them really. This is exactly it. Baubles I think make a really great base for your tree so I actually always decorate with the baubles first and I found this really nifty tool online and it is don't laugh at me but it's a bauble calculator <laughs> okay <laughs> you, I made you laugh, laugh you why are you laughing <laughs> you're opposed to counting on your fingers <laughs> so this is it it's basically to uh, quantify the dispersion of the baubles accurately across the coverage of the tree so that you um, have a nice even. (laughs) So, for example, if you have a six-foot tree with kind of a full shape, the ideal amount of baubles would be 135. So you can go to christmastreeworld.co.uk and you can find out a bit more from the bauble calculator there. But again, I would like to reiterate that this is not what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. It doesn't matter how many baubles you have on your tree. Just have a great L time. That's the main thing. That is the best advice ever. And don't go too condo on us uh, with the old tree. Uh, Nivmar, as ever, uh, fun and practical and all of that. And listen, uh, have a lovely Christmas. Thank if we you. don't see you before the big day, we may well do so. But if we don't, have a wonderful Christmas and, uh, and enjoy your tree and put a picture of your tree up on Instagram and we can all have with all 135 baubles to (laughs) enjoy indeed okay and that is all that we have time for on the home show this week as you run around now decluttering and putting up your Christmas tree Uh, if you've got uh, something you'd like us to talk about or a guest you'd like us to have on well then be like Jackie who got in touch with us during the week uh, who said was listening to the show last week and when we were speaking to Joan Scales about relocating where these villages in, in Italy and Spain and France will pay you to go and move there. Uh, She said, I'm hoping to make the move myself and my husband to follow soon after. We're planning for around September 2023 and I'd love more information on areas, particularly in Spain. Joan had mentioned Asturias and Galicia and I was wondering, are there other places? Well, if you hop onto Joan Scales Travel on Instagram and contact her there, I know that she will have all of that information, Jackie. And uh, uh, certainly it did pique the interest of many of our listeners, that kind of uh, fun in the sun and moving away and all of that. Uh, so for those of us that are still remaining and uh, for everybody who will be here next week, we will be back at eight o'clock on Saturday morning as we are every week. Uh, but also we are on podcast and you can find that in the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And if you want to get in touch with us at any time, 53106 by text and the home show at Newstalk. Dot com. And producing today, Marais O'Sullivan, Peter Malloy was on sound and Anton Savage is up next. So stay tuned for that and we'll do it all again next week at eight o'clock on Saturday morning.